For God's sake, let us sit upon the ground and tell sad stories of the deaths of kings, how some have been deposed, some slain in war. I me, I see the ruin of my house. The tiger now hath seized the gentle hind. Insulting tyranny begins to jut upon the innocent and aweless throne. What is a man? Sure he made us with such large discourse, looking before and after, gave us not that capability and godlike reason to fust in us unused. O oh, my dear father, restoration hang thy medicine on my lips, and let this kiss repair those violent harms that my two sisters have in thy reverence made. I am a king that find thee, and I know, tis not the balm, the scepter and the ball, the sword, the mace, the crown imperial, the throne he sits on, nor the pomp that beats on the high shore of the world. This is the mighty history of the British Empire, a people living on a tiny island in the North Atlantic Ocean, built an empire that circled the earth and brought freedom and education to languishing millions. This empire was blessed by Almighty God and one of his best educated teachers, William Shakespeare. Shakespeare has educated some of the greatest leaders of all time, such as Abraham Lincoln and Winston Churchill. We shall never surrender. Our troubled world needs a fresh crew of nation-building leaders. Are you ready to step up to the challenge? Welcome to the exciting classroom of Shakespeare's royal education with host Dennis Leap. Well, greetings, everyone. Welcome back to Shakespeare's Royal Education. Well, I have no comments today, and actually, I think it's a good thing because there's a lot... Uh, that I want to cover. And after the last program, I went back and did some more research on this play. And uh, doing the research, I found out that uh, this is probably one of the hardest plays to understand <laughs> that Shakespeare has written. So uh, I think I can help you through some things. And uh, I think what I'm going to do is kind of backtrack a little bit today before we move too far forward. I'd like to start Act 3 today. We'll see. But I, I ended our last podcast on page 39, line 561, and that was uh, lines being given by Sir Richard, um, and I call him the legitimate, although uh, we know his other name is Bastard, but anyway, Sir Richard is giving a, a line. Now remember, he was the illegitimate son of Sir of Richard the Lionheart. And, of course, uh, Shakespeare always has to get the B word in there. He, Shakespeare must like that, that word because he uses it quite a bit. Now, for today's program, I want to go back to page 34 with Hubert's line. And if you remember Hubert, the character Hubert, he is a citizen of Angier. And uh, he seems like he's got a lot of power and uh, it's almost like maybe he's the mayor of the city. I'm not sure. Again, we could go back in history and probably look that up. But again, I want to go back to page 34 because Hubert really is the one that is behind so many of the things that are happening in the play. It's, it's, it's kind of interesting. But let's just start with uh, line 416. And and here's Hubert. They're... they're uh, you know, they've had their war. We've already been through that. Uh, they they uh, 
both of their heralds said, hey, we have more English blood on our hands. That's what the French says. And the, the, the English herald says, no, we have more French blood. Uh, we, we have more French blood on our hands. And, and the, the French guy said, we have more English blood on our hands. And therefore, you know, and a 10 year old boy, why he's just qualified to take this job. That's basically <laughs> what they're saying. But, but, uh, Hubert, he's a citizen. He, he really has, uh, uh, maybe a more significant role than I've I've uh, taught you or worked with you about. So here's Hubert. He says, Hear us, great kings, vouchsafe a while to stay, and I shall show you peace and fair-faced league. Win you this city without stroke or wound. Rescue those breathing lives to die in beds. That here come sacrifices for the field. Preserve her not, but hear me, mighty kings. And so, so here's Hubert. He's just a citizen. And, uh, King John says to him, well, speak with, speak on with favor. We're here. We're, you know, we're bent to hear. And I, I didn't realize even the last program, it's Hubert is the one that recommends that the daughter of Spain or Lady Blanche marry Louis the Dauphin. And that would stop the war. It's Hubert. He's <laughs> a citizen of Angiers. And uh, there's only one character that realizes how corrupt <laughs> Angiers is and what they're really doing here. And so so uh, uh, I just wanted to read this to you again. It says, um, this is Hubert. Uh, you know, it's King John is saying, hey, um, you know, Hubert wants the city to be saved, obviously. He doesn't want the, the walls torn down. And uh, he said, hey, I, I have an idea. And then King John says, speak on with favor, we are bent to hear. And then Hubert says, that daughter there of Spain, the Lady Blanche, is near to England. Look upon the years of Louis the Dauphin and that lovely maid. If lusty love should go in quest of beauty, where should he find it fairer than in Blanche? Now this is Hubert, a citizen of Angiers, is, is, is trying to matchmake these two people. And he says, if zealous love should go in search of virtue, where should he find it purer than in Blanche? If love and ambitious sought a match of birth, whose veins bound richer blood than Lady Blanche? He said, look, she's not gonna, he's not gonna find another loyal princess like this one, like Lady Blanche, such as, as she is in beauty, virtue, birth, is the young Dauphin every way complete? If not complete of say, he is not she. <laughs> so he's saying, hey, the Dauphin is really handsome. He's complete. Well, if he's not complete, well, let's just say he's not she, <laughs> which is really, really quite funny. And again, she wants nothing to name want. If want it be not that she is not he. He is half part of a blessed man left to be finished by such as she. And she, a fair divided excellence, whose fullness of perfection lies in him. So this is Hubert, the citizen, standing on the wall, giving like a marriage counsel. <laughs> it's like he's like the, I don't know, like a Catholic priest. He says, of two such silver currents when they join to glorify the banks that bound them in. And two such shores to two such streams made one, two such controlling bounds, Shall you be kings to these two princes if you marry them? So he's saying, look, King Philip, King John, you can stop all this. Just 
just have these two kids get married. It'll stop everything. And uh, basically what Hubert is saying in the back of his mind is, yeah, and and yours is saved. <laughs> That's what he's saying. And he says, uh, and two such stores to two such dreams made one, two such controlling bounds uh, shall you be kings. The, to these two princes, if you marry them, this union shall do more than battery can to our fast closed gates for at such at this match. So he said, look, this union, this union can stop the, the, the war. It can stop it all. Uh, it, it, it will open the gates, you know, to everybody. And he said, with swifter spleen than powder can enforce, the mouth of passage shall we fling wide ope and give you entrance. But without this match, the sea is enraged. It's not half so deaf. Lions were conf confident, mountains and rocks, more free motion, no, not death himself, immortal fury, hath so preemptory as we keep this city. So, so it's interesting if, if you read between the lines and just think about this. It'd be interesting if we had an actual good movie to see. But, but, but the point is, you don't hear any more from King John or King Philip. You know, it's, it's like he's, he's got the point out. But there's one person who does not think this is a great idea. And it just so happens to be Sir Richard. And uh, here's what he says. And I think this is a line we don't want to, to mix. And as I was doing some research, it's interesting that, that uh, if you read uh, Schmoop or if you read uh, some of the other, you know, Shakespeare um, I, I, I call them aficionados. They really do a lot of research. They really help. But, but the, the, the thing that they say is, is that Sir Richard or the bastard is the only smart one in the whole play. He's the one that really sees between the lines. And, and it's, it's like, uh, like I was just reading again this morning is that, that Shakespeare makes him kind of like the man of reason in the play. He's, he's reasoning it through it. He's not caught up in all the emotion of it. And here's what the bastard says. He says, here's a stay that shakes the rotten carcass of old death out of his rags. Here's a large mouth indeed that spits forth death and mountains, rocks, and seas, talks as familiar, familiarly of roaring lions as maids of thirteen do of puppy dogs. What cannoner begot this lusty blood? He speaks plain cannon fire and smoke and bounce. So in other words, listen, kings, you better you better work this out. You better really think this through because this could be, you know, worse than cannon fire. He gives the bastinado with his tongue. Our ears are cuddled, not a word of his, but buffers better than a fist of France. And so, so what, what he's saying, and he's really the, the, the uh, Sir Richard is saying to King John, this benefits France. It's not benefiting you. And remember now, historically, King John does lose his lands in France. And this is one step forward for him to lose his land. And so, so that's what's going on. And he says, uh, the, Sir Richard goes on to say, I was never so bethumped with words since I first called my brother's father dad. <laughs> and so, so he's saying, look, th this is all 
this is not great stuff. This is really not the solution to the problem. But essentially what he's he's doing is Hubert's getting a solution to preserve Angiers at that moment. He said, look, get your minds off fighting. Get your minds on maybe, well, this pretty situation where a son is marrying, you know, another princess. Get Get your minds on that. But Eleanor, and remember, this is Eleanor of Aquitaine, and uh, there, there are some people have criticized um, uh, Shakespeare when he brings in Eleanor and Constance, and we're going to see when we get up to Act Three that they're going to they're going to really fight each other over what's going to be happening here. But but Eleanor looks at at uh, her son John, and she says, "Son, list to this conjunction, make this match." Give with our niece a dowry large enough, but by this knot thou shalt uh, so surely tie thy now unsured assurance to the crown, that yon green boy shall have no son to ripe, the bloom that promise a mighty fruit. I see a yielding in the looks of France. Mark how they whisper, urge them, while their souls are capable of this ambition. Lest zeal now melted by the windy breath of oft petitions, pity and remorse, cool and congeal again to what it was and so so eleanor remember now she she is a famous queen of both uh england and france and uh, she really did have a, a clear political understanding and and what eleanor is saying look look son this might be the best solution right here take a look at it and uh um you know uh at the the very last line there, it says, cool and congeal again to what it was. He said, so, she says, so it, it will bring the peace. Then Hubert, he comes up again and says, why answer not the double majesties, this friendly treaty of our threatened town? And so, so what Hubert is standing up and he says, okay, I heard John's part. Now I heard his mother's part. Hey, what do you think, Philip? That's what's going on. This is his, uh, not his real king. I mean, Hubert really is. He said it in the in the very beginning of the play that uh, Angiers was the territory of England. I mean, he admitted it. And so now he wants to hear what Philip says. And then Philip says, Speak England first, that hath been forward first to speak unto the city. What say you? So, So if you notice, Philip just passes it off at first. And then notice King John, he comes on and he says, If that the dolphin there, thy princely son, can in this book of beauty read I love, her dowry shall weigh equal with the queen, for Angiers, fair Touraine, Maine, and Portier, all that we we upon this side the sea, except this city now by us besieged, find liable to our crown and dignity, shall gild her bridal bed and make her rich in titles, honors, and promotions. And so essentially what King John says, look, I'm for this, and if your son marries my niece, then I will have put them over these territories in France. And so essentially what's happening out there, all, all you people listening in, all my all my students out there is, is essentially he is giving away his territories and he's assuming that because blanche is part of this that he's still going to have his hand in those those uh counties or in that land 
And in, in history, what we find out, that's not going to happen. Uh, he goes on to say, um, and he said, um, this will make her rich in titles, honors, and promotions as she, as she in beauty, education, blood, holds hand with any princes of the world. King Philip says, what sayest thou, boy? Look in a lady's face. And so, so Philip doesn't really give an, an answer to, uh, let's say, Hubert. He's, he's really kind of sidestepping it all. And Lewis says, I do, my Lord, and in her eye I find a wonder or a wondrous miracle, the shadow of myself formed in her eye, which being but the shadow of your son becomes a son and makes your son a shadow. I do protest I never loved myself till now in fixed I beheld myself. Draw in the flattering table of her eye. So so essentially Lewis whispers this uh, with Blanche. And again, no one but Sir Richard or the bastard has a problem with this. I mean, he's, he's the one that is the, 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 let's say, the smart one. And, and in some ways... Uh, it's he's really a unique character, and uh, you know it's, it's, Shakespeare is really good at creating these kind of characters, but but he is he's he's the voice of wisdom. She he goes on to say then this is this is Sir Richard drawn in the flattering table of her eye, hanged in the frowning wrinkle of her brow. I mean this exclamation point exclamation point. He's going, it's like he wants to stick his tongue in his mouth. This is just vomit. What's he doing? And he said, and quartered in her heart, he doth a spy, himself loves traitor. This is pity now, that hanged and drawn and quartered, there should be in such love so vow aloud as he. So, so Sir Richard looks at the Dauphin, and he says, he's loud. Why are you letting your grand? Why are you letting your niece marry aloud? And then Blanche, um, you know, she, she comes forth and she says. My uncle's will in this respect is mine. If he see aught in you that makes him like, that anything he sees which moves his liking, I can with ease translate to my will, or if you will, to speak more properly, I will enforce it easily to my love. So, so, I mean, in some ways, as a prince's, you know, if, if you have the, the uh, chance to marry the prince of, of France at the time, why it's like she's just oozing over this guy and so so is she really thinking about well the implications of it she goes on to say further i will not flatter you my lord that all i see in you is worthy love than this that nothing do i see in you though curlish thoughts themselves should be your judge that i can find should merit any hate so, so the, the thing is, she, she's for it. I mean, she's for the marriage. King John then comes up and says, what say these young ones? What say you, my niece? And the Blanche says that she is bound in honor to do, uh, still to do what you and wisdom vouchsafe to say. So, so Blanche is saying, look, uncle, if this is what you're for, if you think it's fine, I'm fine with it. And then the King John says, speak then, Prince Dauphin, can you love this lady? And then Lewis comes back with a kind of a smart aleck comment. He says, nay, ask me if I can refrain from love, for I do love her most unfeignedly. Now, now, all of you out there listening, you have to understand this is history. 
I mean, Blanche did marry the Dauphin. And so this is in history. So it really is, is true. But notice then King John then says, Then do I give Voluscesson, Touraine, Maine, Portier, and Anjou, these five provinces, with her to thee, and this addition more, full 30,000 marks of English coin. Philip of France, if thou be pleased with all, command thy son and daughter to join hands. And then King Philip comes in and says, well, it likes well. Young princes, close your hands. And so, so Philip is for it. And why do you think Philip is for it? Because <laughs> it's getting him out of a war. You know, there's, there's still trouble between France and England. There is, historically, there was trouble over these lands, and it went on for a long time. It wasn't just a, you know, a day thing. Notice Austria. And so, so here we have Austria, or we could almost say, and, and by the time we get to Act Three, you're going to see it. It's, it's the, uh, uh, Austria is like, um, part of the Holy Roman Empire. And so, so here you've got the Holy Roman Empire involved as well. And uh, Austria is saying in your lips too, for I am well assured that I did so when I was first assured. So what does Austria have to say with anything about a marriage <laughs> between two kids? And then King Philip says, now, citizens of Angiers, ope your gates. Let in the amity which you have made for at St. Mary's Chapel presently, the rites of marriage shall be solemnized. Is not the Lady Constance in this troop? I know she is not for this match made up. Her presence would have interrupted much. Where is she and her son? Tell me, who knows? And so, um, you know, King Philip, he's not a dummy. He knows that that uh, Arthur's mother is not going to be happy with this situation. You know, it's, it's Arthur. It's, he's out. He's cut out. And then Lewis, uh, Lewis says, this is the Dauphin, she is sad and passionate at your highness's tent. And then King Philip goes back and says, and by my faith, this league that we have made will give her sadness very little cure. Brother of England, how may we content this widow lady? Now, if you think about that line, you could breeze over it. But here, Philip is saying, hey, brother, <laughs> hey, brother of England. You know, it's like, whew, this war is over. You know, he said, Brother Franklin, how may we content this widow lady? In her right we came, which we, God knows, have turned another way to our own vantage. And so, Sir so King Philip is, is uh, you know, he's, he's admitting, yeah, this was to our advantage. You know, it's, it's uh, hopefully they're going to have fun. Hopefully they're going to be married. But uh, we don't have to worry about cutting each other's heads off right now. <laughs> we don't have to worry about swords being uh, stuck into our hearts. And then King John goes on to say, We will heal up all, for we'll create young Arthur, Duke of Bretagne, and Earl of Richmond, and this fair, rich, fair town will make him lord of all. So, so here, what King John is also willing to, to do is young Arthur is now going to be called Duke of Bretagne. He's going to be an earl. He's going to be the Earl of Richmond. And he is going to be over this fair town. He's going to be over Angiers. So so not only is he giving up his uh, his niece to Louis, uh, 
in the in the this whole um display of of uh you know being kind after beating the daylights out of each other uh but he's going to give him some royal royal titles he's going to give him um you know a lot of uh good things but he's not going to make him king it's not going to be he's not going to be king of england and he says call the lady constance some speedy messenger bid her repair to our solemnity I trust we shall, if not, fill up the measure of her will, yet in some measure satisfy her so, that we may stop her exclamation, Go we, as well as haste will suffer us, to this unlooked-for, unprepared pomp. So, so essentially, everybody now leaves the stage. And uh, th- this is one of the things about Shakespeare that he's really good at. So now, now essentially, Sir Richard is talking to the audience only. And he's got his own view of what's going on. And this is where we ended last time. He says, mad world, mad kings, mad composition. And what he's saying is, this whole world is mad. And I think I even mentioned that so is this world. And there's mad kings. And then he said there's mad composition. And what he's actually referring to is the marriage agreement. It's mad what they just decided. It's crazy. John, to stop Arthur's title in the hole, hath willingly departed with a part. And so so essentially what he's saying is, you know, John has given away, uh, you know, things to the, the French. Um, you know, he's, he's stopping Arthur's title as king, but he's still making a big mistake. He says he hath willingly with a part. And so, so, but notice it's only the, the Sir Richard the Lionheart's illegitimate son that can see the madness behind it all. It's a mad world. It's a mad kings. It's a mad agreement. And, uh, uh, he goes on now and gives probably one of the longest soliloquies in Shakespeare. I mean, this from line 564 to line 597, it's it's between the uh, you know it's between uh, Sir Richard and us, the audience. And here's what he has to talk about. And again, uh, for all of you, I almost called you students, but I guess I can get away with that. So all you students really need to understand this. He's talking in this section about human nature and and. Uh, the, the selfishness of actually the two kings. They're very selfish. And, of course, Hubert is selfish as well. And so he sees it. And so if you, if you look at some of the, some of the, the uh, let's say, online things, they, are, they say that, that um, you know, right here is with, uh, with uh, Sir Richard, is, is he is actually the the narrator of the whole play he's he's the one that's there to narrate it for us he's the one that's there to explain it for us and uh he goes on then after he said mad he, he said mad uh mad world mad kings mad composition he goes and france whose armor conscience buckled on whom zeal and charity brought to the field as god's own soldier rounded in the ear with that same purpose changer that sly devil that broker that still breaks the pate of faith. So, so he's saying, 
what's going, really going on here is it's kind of sponsored, you know, by the devil. It's it's a it, it's they're being swayed by their own human nature, and he says. Of kings, of beggars, old men, young men, maids who have no external thing to lose. But the word maid cheats the poor maid of that, that smooth-faced gentleman, tickling commodity. And and he goes on, commodity, what is commodity? And that's self-interest. And so, so in all of this, it was just all self-interest. It's not thinking about the future. What about the future of England? Or what about the future of Angiers? Or what about the future of France? And so, so, you know, a smooth-faced gentleman is really a two-timer, or he's got a you know a, a evil personality he's hiding. He said, uh, he says that two-faced gentleman tickling commodity, and and he said essentially what he's talking about is self-interest. That's that's what he's talking about commodity. It's self-interest. He says, commodity, the bias of the world, the world who of itself is um, uh, pesed well, or I think that means um, balanced. He said, made to run even upon even ground till this advantage, this vowel drawing bias, this sway of motion, this commodity or self-interest makes it take head from all indifferency, from all direction, purpose, course, intent, and this same bias, this commodity, this bod, this broker, this all-changing word clapped on the outward eye of fickle France hath drawn him from his own determined aid from a resolved and honorable war to a most base and vile concluded peace. So, so Sir Richard sees this. It's, it's, a, it's not an honorable peace. It's, it's not really solved. He said, and why rail I on this commodity or this self-interest? But for because he hath not wooed me yet, not that I have the power to clutch my hand when his fair angels would salute my palm. So, so in other words, what Sir Richard is saying is, look, I've tried to stay out of things like this in my life. I don't want to do things like this in my life. But what he's beginning to say, well, look, if the two kings can get away with this, why can't I? <laughs> you know, what, what's my commodity? What, what's my self-interest? You know, he said, I think I'm going to start going after self-interest myself. He says, when his fair angels would salute my palm, but for my hand, as unattempted yet, like a poor beggar, rails on the rich. Well, while I'm a beggar, I will rail and say there is no sin but to the rich. And being rich, my virtue then shall be to say, there is no vice but beggary. So he's saying, you know what? They're making themselves rich. I'm going to make myself rich now. And he said, to say there is no vice but beggary, since kings break faith upon self-interest or commodity, gain me by my Lord, for I will worship thee. So, so in some ways, what I missed last time was this whole idea of seeing that here's these two kings, they're out for themselves. They're, they're, they're out for themselves. Even Hubert is out for himself and with, uh, with Angiers. And so, so it, to me, it's really, really quite fascinating what's in here. And again, uh, I, I should apologize. I should have probably did a little more study before we got this far into it. 
But uh, again, there's a lot going on here. And by the way, we're not at below zero temperatures anymore here in Oklahoma. Uh, it's now 71 degrees. <laughs> and now we're afraid what's going to happen next. And okay, now I want to get into Act 3. It looks like we have we have some time for this today. And again, this is an important act, Act 3. And uh, it's it's at the French camp. And so, so you have to remember now there is war. There's an English camp and there's a French camp. And essentially what we're going to uh, hear is a lot of discomfort and screaming and crying from Constance. And Arthur is with her. And then Salisbury is also there with her from, and again, he's one of the earls of England. So Constance then says, gone to be married, gone to swear a peace, false blood to false blood join, gone to be friends. Shall Lewis have Blanche and Blanche those provinces? It is not so. Thou hast misspoke, misheard, be well advised. Tell or thy tell again, it cannot be. Thou dost but say tis so. I trust, I may not trust thee. For the word is but vain, breath of common man. Believe me, I do not believe thee, man. I have a king's oath to the contrary. Thou shalt be punished for thus frightening me, for I am sick and capable of fears, oppressed with wrongs, and therefore full of fears, a widow, husbandless, subject to fears, a woman naturally born to fears. So she is absolutely livid that John has made a pact with, uh, with Philip to give Angiers and a lot of lands uh, in France to his niece and to the Dauphin. And where is Arthur? Arthur is the son of Joffrey. You know, uh, but again, remember now, at the time of, of um, King John, the laws of of you know who becomes king after the fathers dies, it wasn't really well established, and so so you can see um, here, and I think there's there's a unique situation where you have two mothers involved, you have you know Eleanor and you have Constance, and they both want to see their sons do well, so uh, that's going to add to the to the whole you know let's say the whole specter of the play. It says, uh, shall Lewis have Blanche and Blanche those promises? It's not so. Thou hast misspoke, misheard. Be well advised. Tell over thy tale again. I, it cannot be. Thou dost but say tis so. I trust, I may not trust thee. For thy word is but the vain breath of a common man. Believe me, I do not believe thee, man. I have a king's oath to the contrary. So, so there must have been some talk either between her and Philip or her and John. And this was not to be what was going to happen. Thou shalt be punished for thus frightening me, for I am sick and capable of fears. I think I read all this. And I'll just skip down. It says, a woman naturally born to fears. I'm going to slip over to page 42 now. It says, and though now confess thou didst but jest, with my vexed spirits I cannot take a truce. But they will quake and tremble all this day. What dost thou mean by shaking of thy head? What dost thou look so sadly upon my son? 
What means that hand upon the breast of thine? Why hold thine eye that lamentable room, like a proud river peering over his bounds? But these sad signs, confirmers of thy words, then speak again, not all thy former tale, but this one word, whether thy tale be true. And so who she's talking to Salisbury here, by the way. And then Salisbury is the one that came and informed her what was going on. And he says, as true as I believe you think them false, that give you cause to prove my saying true. And Constance says, oh, if thou teach me to believe the sorrow, teach thou the sorrow how to make me die. And let belief in life encounter so, as doth the fury of two desperate men, which in the very meeting fall and die. Lewis, Mary Blanche, O oh boy, then where art thou? France, friend with England, what becomes of me? Fellow, be gone, I cannot brook thy sight. This news hath made a most uh, made you a most ugly man. So she's saying, okay, Salisbury, the fact that you told me the truth, I think you're ugly. <laughs> and, and Salisbury says, what other harm have I, good lady, done, but spoke the harm that is by others done? And Salisbury's saying, hey, come on, it's not fair. I didn't do this. I'm just telling you. And Constance with, says, which harm itself so heinous is, and it makes harmful all that speak of it. And Arthur says, this is said to his mother. Remember, now, Arthur's a young boy here. He says, Arthur says, I do beseech you, madam, be content. And Arthur, you know, it's it, what, you, what you really have to understand what goes on here is, it's like Eleanor is really up for her son. And, and Constance is really up for Arthur. But, but Arthur, he's just a young boy. He's not ready to rule yet. And, uh, and he knows that. And Constance says, if you that bids me be content were grim, ugly and slanderous to thy mother's womb, full of pleasing blots and sightless, <laughs> sightless stains, lame, foolish, crooked, swart, and prodigious. So, so listen to what Constance is telling Arthur. He's saying, look, if you were an ugly kid, <laughs> and to be swart there means to be dark-skinned, and, uh, you know, with the kings of England, they didn't want anyone dark-skinned to be king. And he said, she said, you're, you're, you're prodigious. Swart is dark, then prodigious. And he said, she said, you know, if you weren't born, if you were born with patched, you were patched with foul moles and eye offending marks, I would not care. I then would be content. <laughs> she says, Hey, if you were ugly, I would be content with all this, but you're not ugly. He says, for then I should not love thee, no, nor thou become thy great birth, nor deserve a crown. But you are fair, and at your birth, dear boy, nature and fortune join to make you great. Of nature's gift you may, you mayest with lilies boast. So he said, hey, the beautiful lilies, you could, you were so handsome when you were born, you could be out there boasting like lilies. And she goes on to say, and with this half-blown rose, but fortune, oh, she is corrupted, changed, and won from thee, the adulterous hourly with thine uncle John. 
and with her golden hand hath plucked on France to tread down fair respect of sovereignty, and made his majesty the bod to theirs. France is a bod to fortune and King John, that strumpet fortune hath usurping that usurping John. Tell me, thou fellow, is not France forsworn? Even um, him and words, get thee gone, and leave those woes alone which I alone am bound to under bear. And so he's, she's saying that France is forsworn. He's gone against what his oath was to them. And um, she says, now I have to underbear it. And Salisbury then says, pardon me, madam. <laughs> I may not go without you to the king's. And uh, Constance says, Thou mayest, thou shalt. I will not go with you. I will instruct my sorrows to be proud. For grief is proud and makes his owner stoop. To me and to the state of my grief, my great grief, let kings assemble, for my grief is so great that no supporter but the huge firm earth can hold it up. Here I in sorrow sit. Here is my throne. Bid kings come bow to it. And so so uh, she's saying, I'm not going to those dirty guys. <laughs> hey, they come to my throne. You know, it says, I'm Constance. I got my throne. You bring them here. So then we have another, another really striking scene. And here uh, the note in the play is, Enter King John. So King John is coming. There's King Philip of France, Louis the Dauphin, Blanche, the, the niece, Eleanor, John's mother, Philip, Sir Philip, or actually, yes, no, Sir Richard, Philip, the bastard. Remember, his real name is Philip, by the way. It's not bastard. It's Philip. And then Austria. And so, so, and their attendants, they're all coming in. So, so instead of there being a big scene outside the walls of Angiers, now there's a big scene, you know, inside the courtyard, uh, or uh, they're in some house. And King Philip says, "'Tis true, fair daughter, and this blessed day, ever in France shall be kept festival. To solemnize this day, the glorious sun stays in his course and plays the al al alchemist. Turning with splendor of his precious eye, the meager caudy, cloddy earths to glitter with gold, the yearly course that brings this day, about shall never see it but a holy day. So essentially, we're going to find out that actually, when they all came in together, King John and King Philip are holding hands. They're so excited about the wedding. And, that, you know, can you imagine how Constance felt <laughs> seeing two kings coming in, you know, hand in hand? They're, they're, uh, King Philip says, this is like a holy day. This is exciting. And you know, as Constance, you know, she has her right. She's a pretty bold lady. She says, a wicked day and not a holy day. What hath this day deserved? What hath it done? That, that it in golden letters should be set among the high sides in the calendar. Nay, rather turn this day out of the week this day of shame, oppression, and perjury. So she's saying, you're a bunch of liars here. You know, she was, she obviously felt she was promised something different. Said, oh, if it must stand still, let wives with child pray that their burdens may not fall this day. So she's saying, it's so evil 
that every woman that's pregnant needs to pray that she doesn't lose her baby this day. It says, lest their hopes prodigiously be crossed, but on this day let semen fear to rack. In other words, this day is any holy day. A semen should fear to go to sea. No bargains break that are this day made. This, this day all things begun come to ill end. Yes, faith itself to follow or hollow falsehood change. And King Philip says, By heaven, lady, you shall have no cause to curse the fair proceedings of this day. Have I not pawned to you, my majesty? And and Constance says, You have beguiled me with a counterfeit resembling majesty, which being touched and tried proves valueless. And so he said, she said, You haven't given me what you promised. You are forsworn, forsworn. You came in arms to spill mine enemy's blood, but now in arms you strengthen it with yours. The grappling vigor and rough frown of war is cold in amity and painted peace. And our oppression hath made up this league. Arm, arm, you heavens, against these perjured kings. A widow cries, Be husband to me, heavens. Let not the hours of this ungodly day wear out the day in peace, but ere sunset. Set armed discord twixt these perjured kings. Hear me, oh, hear me. Then Austria pipes up and says, Lady Constance, peace. And so so Austria, uh, to me, in my mind, I have him, in my mind, he's kind of like a little fat guy, you know. And uh, he ought to be careful with Lady Constance. And Constance says, war? War, no peace. Peace is to me a war. And uh, she goes on, man, she really rips him. O Lima Jesus, O Austria, thou dost shame that bloody spoil, thou slave, thou wretch, thou coward, thou little valiant, great in villainy, ever strong upon the stronger side, the, the, uh, thou fortune's champion, thou dost never fight. But when her humorous ladyship is by to teach thee safety, thou art perjured too, and shouldst be up and shouldst up greatness. What a fool art thou, a ramping fool to brag and stamp and swear upon my party. Thou cold-blooded slave, hast thou not spoke like thunder on my side, but sworn my soldier, bidding me depend upon thy stars, thy fortune, and thy strength? And dost thou now fall over to my foes? Thou wear a lion's hide, dolph it for shame, and hang a calfskin on those recreant limbs. So, <laughs> so that is really bad, by the way. If you if you have to get rid of your lion's hide, and then you put on calfskin. I, think, I guess that was a great curse at that time. And then Austria says, Oh, that a man should speak those words to me. He's saying, well, Who are you, you woman? Yeah, maybe a man should speak like me that to me, not you. And of course, then Sir Richard says, "And hang a half caskin on the recent and <laughs> the recreant limbs." So Sir Richard is right there in the middle of all this, and he's he's probably enjoying that that uh, Austria is getting plastered by Constance, and um, you know it's it's really funny in in many ways. But says, "Thou darest not say so, villain, for thy life." And Sir Richard says again, and hang a calfskin on those recreant limbs. So, so obviously Sir Richard is not afraid of Austria. And then King John says, we like not this. Thou dost forget thyself. And so, so, uh, 
John is speaking up and saying, hey, this isn't going, going very well. Now, here is one of the most important things now that happens in Act 3, Scene 1. And it, the, the little line there, the little uh, play instruction, it says, Enter Pandolf. And, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, pretty interesting. King Philip says, here comes the Holy League of the Pope. And uh, essentially what is going on here is the Pope has sent a message, a cardinal to King John. And I do have um, a little bit of history here for you. And uh, this is from, let's see, I think it's from Schmoop. And so I want to give them the credit for this. This is not something I... I made up, but um, Pandolf, uh, he's a cardinal, and uh, let me. they say this is time for a history snack, so we're going to give you a history snack. Instead of wedding cake, we're going to give you a history snack. So uh, Pandolf shows up, he's Pandolf asking John why he refuses to support the Pope's choice for the next, next Archbishop of Canterbury. And so that's why Pandolf is there. It says, Hail, you anointed deputies of God, to thee, King John, my holy errand is, I, Pandolf, of fair Milan cardinal, and from Pope Innocent, the legate here, do in his name religiously demand why you against the church, our holy mother, so willfully does spurn and force per force keep Stephen Langton, chosen Archbishop of Canterbury, from that holy see. This in our foresaid Holy Father's name, Pope Innocent, I do demand of thee. And here's the history snack. And uh, this is Schmoop is just being funny because they, they know the wedding it was going to be taking place. It says, um, in 1207, King John had an argument with Pope Innocent III. The problem was that the Pope wanted a friend of his, Stephen Langton, to become Archbishop of Canterbury. But John wanted another guy, John de Grey, Bishop of Norwich. And so, so essentially, what's really interesting for all of you out there listening is here, Shakespeare is very much aware of what I, I think we would call here from the, from the Philadelphia church. This is the Holy Roman Empire interfering in, in uh, royal affairs. And if you know anything about the history of the, the throne in England, it was Queen Elizabeth I and her father, Henry VIII, would not be dominated by Rome. And that's when they started the Church of England. And they, the, you know, England totally believed they should separate and they should not be ruled by the Pope in Rome. And, uh, uh, you know, that, that there's a lot you can read about the Holy Roman Empire if you go to trumpet.com. And, uh, you know, it is, a, it, it is uh, rising again. And it's going to be a shock to a lot of people in America because no one pays attention to it. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's going to be really kind of interesting when all that happens. It's not going to go well for the world, really. And, uh, um, so here's King John that answers and says, What earthly name to inter interrogatories can test the free breath of a sacred king? He says, Look, you know, he doesn't say it this way, dude, but he says, Look, Cardinal, you know, I, I'm, I'm a sacred king. I've been anointed king. 
of England. And in other words, he's saying, I've been anointed king of England by God. You cannot, Cardinal, devise a name so slight, unworthy, and ridiculous to charge me as to answer as the Pope. Tell him this tale, and from the mouth of England, and, and thus much more, that no Italian priest shall tithe or toll in our dominions, but as we under God are supreme head, so under him that great supremacy we do reign, we will alone uphold without the assistance of a mortal hand. So, so to me, when I was uh, you know, preparing for today and I read this, Shakespeare really had some really good history in his mind about the Pope and the Holy Roman Empire. And he just writes it right into the play. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it is really interesting that, uh, you know, in some ways we're covering King John right now. And, uh, it, it is, it is really quite interesting that, that here, this time of King John was really not a good time in England. It wasn't a good time in the world. And, uh, you know, here we are in America. Um, you know, here we are getting ready for another election. And America is just, it's almost in tatters already. And so, so, um, you know, there's, there's, uh, some people rising in Germany that, that really detest Donald Trump. And the, the point is, he is really, you know, everybody's thinking that he'd be gone by now and he wouldn't be, but he's, he's coming to the foreground again. And so, so the, 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 you know, there's a lot of news out there that's saying that, you know, Germany is now upset that he's coming back. And the reason is they know he'll do what he says he's going to do. And so, um, you know, I think it is, it is really interesting, uh, here that this, this pops up in this play. And, um, uh, one, one thing I also, uh, want to do, we just have a, f we're getting down to the end of the time. So I'm going to end th this part for right here. But, but I do want to, to mention something that I said about Abraham Lincoln. And we've been studying Abraham Lincoln in the uh, Shakespeare class. And, the, there's a there's a, a, a national endowment for the humanities, and one of their members, Ethan Anderson, wrote this incredible um, paper on Abraham Lincoln, and the title of it is called "Lincoln: Shakespeare's Greatest Character." And what's what's really interesting is that uh, uh, you know Abraham Lincoln, you know, he had to go through everything with the, the Civil War and all that, and uh, this is what this man writes. He said, um, on, uh, in, in May of 18, 1862, uh, Abraham Lincoln was at Fort, Ro Fort Monroe in Virginia, and there were two senior officers there with him, and they were getting ready for another horrible battle. And uh, uh, he had sent some of his adjutants out for their assignments, and he, he went to a desk and opened a book and was studying it, didn't seem to be worried about what was going on in the war at that point. It says, a book of Shakespeare's work, which Lincoln had borrowed from a general at the fort, lay open on the table between them. And this is his, his, uh, his uh, um, one of his tougher generals, I guess his name was Cannon. He, he, was, work, he was working hard at, you know, getting the, everything ready for the, for the fight. 
He says, but Lincoln, incapable of action until his absent officer returned, had spent the preceding hours at an empty desk. His nose, buried, his nose buried in the small volume of Bard's plays. This was not out of character for Lincoln. He had an intense love of Shakespeare and filled many of the elusive free moments he had as commander-in-chief with those famous verses. But so great was this love that those who knew him well, and even those who didn't, had grown accustomed to the melancholy contemplative president breaking into long Shakespearean recitations any time he got the chance. It was this intent that Lincoln had approached Cannon on that day, offering an officer a break from work in exchange for audience, and Cannon accept the invitation. But what was Lincoln studying? It says, the, pre the, the president seemed particularly taken with the lesser-known play Life and Death of King John on that spring morning. It was a relevant choice. The play written by Shakespeare in the mid-1590s recounts the disastrous end of King John's reign. Thematically, it reckons with the question of authority, asking if it's legal precedent or military might that makes better rule legitimate. Beyond this philosophical drama, the play represents a harrowing picture of powerful individuals in extreme crisis and details a king's fall from grace as his kingdom crumbles around him into revolt and violence. And so, so what this man says, it, it, uh, it, it did not seem unusual to him that Lincoln would be reading a play like this because at the time of the Civil War, it seemed exactly like the time of King John. And so, so he was really studying that play and uh, it, it, it is really interesting um, the, what was going on. And then, of course, not too long after that, then uh, President Lincoln was assassinated. And so, so that is, uh, to me, that was really interesting. And I thought that, uh, that it'd be good to pass that on for you. That is about all I think we can... Uh, we can cover today. Um, what I want to do next time is uh, we want to make sure that we get into that Act 3 and really, really study into that. So that is all the time we have for today's program. Please write me any comments you may have, and you can write to comments at kpcg.fm. But you can also comment at my Twitter page, and uh, it's titled Shakespeare's Royal Education. Now, you should be able to find a good used copy of King John at abebooks.com. Some copies will be under $5. So thanks for joining me next time as we advance our royal education. You've been listening to Shakespeare's Royal Education on Trumpet Radio. 101.3 KPCG, streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.